Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Well, good morning, Faith Assembly Church. I think so. You're right. Good morning, Faith Assembly Church. All right, praise the Lord. So awesome to share this time together with you in the presence of the Lord. And to our online viewers today, we want to say thank you for joining us here. Uh, There are a number of us that are gathered here in person today, but we are so thankful uh, for all of our online viewers as well that you would uh, tune in with us and share this time together today. And uh, let me just, I want to say a couple of things here before I get started this morning. Number one, in the, uh, in the first service earlier, man, we had an amazing time in the first service. And I hope you guys will be as uh, active of a participant in the second service here as our first, first service people were. Uh, but uh, we had a bittersweet moment in there. And many of you are watching online and you know the Appas, Eben and Ivy, very well. And uh, the Lord has directed their paths, and they are going to be moving later this week to Abilene, Texas. So uh, we, we wish them well, and we have prayed over them and prayed God's blessing and favor over their lives. But we are so going to miss that family. Uh, but would you do that as well? Just continue to pray and lift them to the Lord and uh, just uh, celebrate God's goodness in their lives. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, are you ready for the word this morning? Well, we've already had the word this morning. We sang the word. Do you realize that? And we worshiped and we praised the Lord as the word came forth in song. But here we are together. If you have your Bible, your iPhone, your Android, uh, whatever, however you access the scriptures, if you have that with you this morning, would you go ahead and find your spot with me in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, if you're not familiar, is really close to the back of the Bible. 1 John, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. So we're getting really close to the back of the book there. But if you'll find your spot there, um, and I'm just going to talk to you for a minute while you're finding that spot, okay? And, uh, you know, wanted to say this morning that we are definitely living in interesting times, are we not? Uh, It's a a day like I've never seen. Uh, I presume many of you have never seen uh, any such season as like we are living in in this moment. And if you're a believer and you have a kingdom perspective, I know from the natural perspective there are a lot of things that are going on that perhaps cause anxieties and troubles in our heart. But if you are a believer and you're looking from a kingdom perspective and you're looking through the lens of faith, I believe that these are also exciting times as we can sense that God is up to something. Come on, somebody. Now, I believe that this is a season, this season that we're moving through right now, I believe is a divine setup. God is up to something, and I believe all of this is a divine setup for something amazing. I do not believe that the enemy is simply having his way in the world without God having a plan. Amen? You believe God's got a plan? All right, all right. So if you've got your spot there, 1 John chapter 3, just shout amen. Tell me you're ready to go, okay? And uh, we're going to simply this morning, our message is simply going to be that we're going to read these first three verses and reflect on those for a few minutes here this morning. And we're going to take it bite by bite as we move through John's greeting here to the church uh, and his uh, word of encouragement to the church. So we're going to begin here in verse uh, 1 and we're going to read the A portion of this verse. And John is speaking to the church here and he says, Behold! What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Do you believe God loves you this morning? Is God's love manifest in your life? Can you see it clearly? Do you know that you know that you know that you are loved by the King? Come on, wave a hand at me this morning. All right. Behold, what manner of love. John is looking at this thing in amazement. And he's saying, come on guys, consider the awesomeness. Consider the weight, consider the reality of what's here before us, of the love of God that has been bestowed on us. How? 
not because we all have new Bentleys, not because we all live in a mansion, but because we are called the children of God. Behold, the wonder, the amazement, the, 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 the glory, the splendor that we should be called the children of God. I want you to just let that sink in for a minute. Let that marinate in your spirit. If you're here today, how many of you are children of God? Amen. You're watching online this morning. I want you to get that crown emoji right now and just drop it in the comments. Every child of God that's watching right now, grab that crown emoji and just throw it in. Say, I am a child of the King. Matter of fact, if you're in here right now, I'm going to give you permission. Just take your phone out for a second. Drop that crown emoji in the chat on the live stream and just identify with all of our online viewers this morning, okay? That we are children of the King. Listen, I am a preacher of blessing and abundance. I believe in the blessing and the favor of God. I believe that God has a plan to prosper us and to give us a future and a hope. And it doesn't matter, though, what else we have in this life. It doesn't matter how much wealth we amass, how many things that we have. If we don't have Jesus, if we cannot lay claim to being called the children of God, then in the grand scheme of things, we don't have anything. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, you know, you, you come to me and you think, you're, you think you're rich and you're increased in goods, but the truth of the matter is you're blind, rich and wretched and miserable. You don't have anything because you don't have me. But praise God today, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. You know, there's a lot of intrigue in this Christian walk, and you run into different types of people, and they're intrigued by different things, right? There are people that come to church, and they are all about the manifestation of spiritual gifts, man. They, they you know, they want to wax prophetic, and they want to be in the presence of somebody who speaks mysteries, and there's nothing wrong with that. I understand it. And for others, there's a great intrigue in Christianity of things of eschatological nature, or they're really interested in end-time events. You know, we could, have a, we could have a weekend prophetic conference here about end-time events. The place would be full. Everybody would be really interested in the significance of all the digits of the, of the dragon and what everything means. And they'd come with great intrigue and inquiry and listen to that. But when it comes time for praise and worship on a Sunday morning, when it comes time to evangelize the community, when it comes time to serve the body of Christ, they're not really that interested in it at all. And then there are some others yet that don't feel like they fully experience God without signs and wonders and miracles. And they travel anywhere in the world that they could afford to be in a service where they hear these things happening. And as I talk about these things, understand this, that I'm not trying to diminish the value of any of these things. And there certainly is a place in the life of the body of Christ for all of these things. Because they're in Scripture and we know that they're valuable. We know that there's a reason that God, through the Holy Spirit, has given and bestowed spiritual gifts on the church. We know that He has recorded and canonized for us in Scripture the, the things, the events that will take place at the end of this age. We know that that's a purpose for that. And we do believe that He is our healer. But I want to tell you something, church. There's a lot of people that would come into this place this morning. And if the preacher said to the congregation, if you would please, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 16. And we're going to talk about the great love of God, wherewith he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that claim the name of Christ that would become disconcerned, they would become bored, they would permit their minds to begin to wander off because of the elementary nature of what is being discussed. They'd say, oh, we already know that, preacher. Tell us something deeper. Tell us something more spiritual. Tell us something. I want to tell you, there is nothing more spiritual than that we who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive together in Christ Jesus and made to sit in heavenly places with him. 
There is nothing more spiritual in that I was blind, but now I can see. There's nothing more spiritual than that I was lost, but now I'm found. There is no greater manifestation of the love of God in your life or mine than that we can be called the sons and the daughters of God. Now, the disciples struggled with this very thing. They, they, they got, you know, sensationalism runs rampant in the body of Christ, honestly. We focus and fixate on certain things and we just, you know, we forget the grander scheme of things and how it's all supposed to work together, okay? And, and the disciples had this, you know, there was, a, there was an occasion when Jesus sent out his followers two by two for the great evangelistic efforts of that day, the mission's work, and they went out. And they came back to Jesus and they reported that they were amazed at how the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. And they were amazed at the power of God that was manifest through their lives to heal the sick and to see miracles happen. And in Luke chapter 10, we read these words beginning in verse 17 and it says this. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, this is Jesus now, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice primarily that you are a child of God. That is the first point of rejoicing. My God, if we were to have somebody come into this place and they rolled them in in a wheelchair and we prayed over them and they stood up, the place would be filled next Sunday because they would, everybody would want to be close to something like that. But I'm telling you that this place ought to be filled every Sunday. We should need little motivation whatsoever to get on our feet and to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords because I have been drawn out of the pit of miry clay. I have been established on a rock forever and he is my Lord, he is my King and I am his child. It's a privilege that Jesus taught us to pray and he said our father and we need not lose the glory and the wonder and the splendor of that statement that we can come before him we who were strangers and foreigners have been made citizens of a heavenly kingdom and members of the household of God and Jesus said John says John says to the church behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Now, part B of verse 1. Therefore. Oh, glory. Praise God. We are the children of God. Come on, somebody shout amen. Therefore, because you are the children of God, the world does not know you because it did not know him. You know, there's a wonderful blessing. I am proud to be an American. I, I'm, I'm so thankful to have grown up in this land where we can be free and we came this morning and we're unhindered, unharassed and we, we have the liberty to express our faith and to worship the Lord. I am thankful for fine men and women who have served and who have preserved this liberty for us that we can stand on their shoulders today and exercise that liberty. And it is a great, great blessing for us here in, this, here in the United States. It is a great blessing for us for generations now the United States of America has been receptive to the church of Jesus Christ and accommodating to those of faith and for most of us in the United States what it means for us to be persecuted you know we hear we hear about persecution of the church and we hear about tribulation and Jesus said in the world you will have trouble and all those things for most of us in the American church what tribulation and what persecution means is that somebody from a different denomination may makes fun of us or disagrees with us about what we believe. Or maybe that some atheist makes fun of us and calls us weak and simple-minded and narrow-minded and all those things because we believe in Jesus and we have a faith in God. For most of us, that is the depth 
of persecution that we have ever known. That's the greatest trial of faith that we have ever encountered. But overall, there was a general, there has been a general respect for and acceptance of the things of God, even by those who didn't necessarily adhere. But in that blessing, there's also a curse. I said, in the blessing of worshiping and serving God here in a, in a land that is based on a Judeo-Christian ethic, there's, all, there's a blessing because we're free to do so, but there's also a curse in that we're free to do so. And that curse is this. Sometimes that we confuse the founding principles of an earthly nation with the truth of Scripture, and we'll act like we don't know what's up when Scripture starts taking place and unfolding right in front of us. You see, one of the great hazards of living in what has been historically a Christian nation are all those things that I mentioned above as a blessing because our faith has always been accepted because we've never faced any real hostility towards our faith because we are in a nation that was founded upon a Christian ethic and we don't know how to respond when the real adversity of life begins to press and settle in on us. Listen to me. There's not many in the American church that would have made it through the lion's den. There's not many in the American church that would have made it through the fiery furnace. There's not, there's not many in the American church that would have made it through seasons like the first century church when our contemporaries were being dragged out to the edge of town and stoned to death, imprisoned for their faith, and being burned alive because they claimed the name of Jesus. A lot of us would say, hey... I'm out because we don't want that in our lives I was reading just last evening about a period during the Reformation in Japan when Christianity started to started to move into Japan in the in the 16th century and and the Buddhists were there and they they actually took Christian believers out and crucified them for their faith we don't know anything about stuff like that here in the good old US of A we don't. We, we wouldn't have made it through because rather than being on our knees trusting God for our deliverance, we'd have been on Facebook posting about our rights and privileges. And I want to tell you that there's something greater than the rights that are granted by mankind or any government authority, and that is the right to be called the sons and the daughters of God. It doesn't matter, though earth hinders and hell rages. I am a child of the king. I will be a child of the king. You take breath out of this body, I'll still be a child of the king. The only issue is I will have graduated from this life. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Don't lose sight of that, church. Don't lose hope in that fact that we are the children. That is the greatest manifestation of God's love towards us. And because we are the children of God, the world fails to recognize us. Oh, we want the world to recognize us. We crave for the world to legitimize us. But Jesus says, because you are the children of God, the world will not know you because it did not know him. John chapter 1, in the prologue of John's gospel, we read these words. In the first few verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is speaking of Jesus. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You see, the world wouldn't recognize the light of our Savior because the life in him revealed the death in them, and they were unwilling to deal with it. And today, church, the Jesus in you, 
bears witness to the hell in them. And they're not willing to change. They've sold their souls to satisfy the lusts of the flesh. And they're bought into an antichrist system. And Jesus said in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This world is no friend of yours. We, we want to take the world, pet it, set it aside, call it a misunderstood friend. But this world and its antichrist system is not a friend to the believer of God. Mm, I could go a long way down that trail, but let me stay here. Understand this, when Jesus says, in the world you will have trouble, we think of the garden variety of difficulties of life that, because that's really the only kinds of difficulties that we've been used to. And some of us, you know, some of us maybe got a bad diagnosis and that's bad. Some of us may suffer with some kind of infirmity and that too is bad. Some of us may have wayward children and we've suffered relational distresses in and, and, and other ways and I'm not trying to marginalize any of those things because God knows that that pain is real. But that's part of, but not the sum total of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is also talking about a demonic furor and fervor that is aimed at your life to destroy you, to get you to turn your back on God and to walk away from your faith. You're going to be tried as creation groans and travails. I'm going to sound the alarm, church, that as we see the day approaching before the Lord's return, it's going to get worse. And what you have now known as tribulation will not compare to what you will know as persecution and trial before Jesus comes. But John gives us the answer. John gives us the answer. Oh, thank God for the answers. Amen? Because we live in a generation, we live in a time, we live in a season when everybody's looking for the answer. Everybody wants to know. Everybody's just like the disciples in Acts chapter 1 when they say, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom? We look at people's news feeds and we, I'm telling you folks that have never been interested in church are interested in church right now because they're sharing every end time prophecy video they can get their hands on. You, I've seen things appear on people's timelines. I was like, my goodness, I didn't know they'd been to church in 10 years. But they're interested now because they think that the Lord's returning because there's a calamity in the earth. And they're interested right now. But let me tell you something about now. Let me tell you something about life in the midst of a pandemic. Let me tell you something about life in the midst of tensions and societal ills and things that are going on. Let me tell you something about life right now for the child of God in the midst of unrest in the land and uncertainty about the future. Let me tell you something about right now. Now, John says, we are the children of God. Mm. Let, me, let me just let me help you here with understanding Pentecostal church etiquette. When we say that in the middle of all of the uncertainty of life and all the difficulties that we face, when we say something about right now and not so the best of times, that nothing on this earth, you've got something in you that the world didn't give you and the world can't take away from you. The devil didn't supply it for you and he can't rob it from you if you'll hang on to the mighty hand of God. When I tell you that now, right now, we are the children of God, that's the place for it to come unglued and the wheels to to run off and everybody to get on their feet and say thank you Jesus thank you Lord that I'm saved sanctified full of the Holy Ghost thank you God that you delivered me out of the pit of miry clay thank you God that I have assurance of heaven when I leave this earth thank you Lord thank you Lord John said now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Come on, somebody. 
Oh, it looked like I was losing ground. It looked like things were fading fast. But what it is is not what it's going to be. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall see. We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We are the children of God. It doesn't matter if the world accepts me or not. I am the child of God. I am accepted in the beloved. It has not yet been revealed. You may be suffering through this life. You may be the object of the world's persecution. You may be labeled as narrow-minded, weak, intolerant because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But what the world says about you is no reflection of who you really are. Because it has not yet been revealed. It has not yet been revealed. There's, there's where you may be. But church, I've got good news. It has not yet been revealed what you shall be. For we shall see him. As, we're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Hmm. And how is he? Some people leave him nailed to the cross. They've got figures and little emblems and things. And Jesus is still there on the cross. Some people have left him in the tomb. But that's not how he is. As a matter of fact, this same John that says, we know not what we shall be, but we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This same John was actually given a glimpse of him as he is. Well, the world didn't receive John either. They tried to kill him. They figured he had more lives than a cat. So they finally exiled him to the Isle of Patmos where they sent the worst of the worst. And they said, John, we're just going to drop you off here on this island and exile you, and you'll just live out the rest of your days here in solitude. And in that place of rejection by the world, John opened the, uh, Jesus opened the eyes of John the Revelator and gave him a most glorious vision. And John says this, It was in the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. And suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And he was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest, and his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire, and his feet were like polished brass refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand and a sharpened two-edged sword came out of his mouth and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance and when I saw him I fell at his feet as I were dead but he laid his right hand on me and he said don't be afraid I am the first and the last I am the living one I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave in my hand. I'm telling you today, church, he's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb, but he is risen. He is resurrected. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has triumphed over all of your sin, all of your trouble, all of your adversity, and we know not what we shall be, but we shall see him, and we will be like him. He wears the victor's crown. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He has triumphed over the enemy. And we are going to be like him. And this, I believe, John is speaking of the rapture of the church. When Jesus appears to gather the sainted of every generation, giving them a glorified body like his own. 
Paul explains it this way and says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then John In verse 3 says this, and in this season when everybody's looking around and they're saying, oh pastor, what what are the signs of the time? What's going on and what's causing, what should we do when we're standing as the apostles just before Jesus ascended into heaven and we're asking the question and saying, Lord, will you again at this time restore your kingdom? John gives us the answer of what we should do in this season. And he says here in verse 3, And everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Listen, when Jesus comes, it's God's business. As a matter of fact, he's very blunt and plain about it and says it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has put into place. That's none of your business. That's a kind way of saying that's none of your business. But John lets us know what is our position in this moment. And he says that every man that has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. You want to know what you need to do in this season? When things start happening around this world and things are getting chaotic and timelines are being filled and articles are being written and so many conversations regarding the end time events and how current events align align with God's prophetic timetable. There's no more sign to be fulfilled before the return of Jesus. The return of Christ has been imminent since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven and there's nothing left for fulfillment of the time that Jesus described as being in an hour that you know not. As a matter of fact, three times in Matthew 24, the disciples came and asked Jesus that question. Oh, they were an inquisitive bunch. They wanted to know about the end times. Three times in response in Matthew 24, Jesus says to them, listen, no man knows the hour. No man knows the day or the hour. The angels don't know. I don't know. Only God the Father knows when that time is coming. He said the day, the, the day of the Lord is going to come as it will be as it was in the days of Noah. The people will be eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and then the end will come. Just as it was that the floodwaters came, washed them away. They didn't even know they were coming until they'd been swept away. He said, that's the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Peter said that he's going to come like a thief in the night. Paul said he's coming like a thief in the night. Three times there, Jesus says, you're not going to know the day or the hour when Jesus is coming. And it's at the end of Matthew 24 and and the beginning of Matthew 25 that we run into one of those editorial challenges in reading the Word. Because our thoughts and our minds are so linear and so sectioned and, and we just we feel like that where, where we stop at, at, 20, at the end of chapter 24, we've got to step over into 25 because there's something we're leaving behind there and we're picking up something new over here. No, 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 that's not the case at all. It's a continuation of the same conversation that flows out of chapter 24 and into chapter 25. Jesus has been telling them that you will not know. It's a moment and an hour that you don't know, that you're not going to know when it is that he's returning again. And then he illustrates it with this story. And he tells them a parable about ten virgins. And we think this teaching is independent of the subject matter because it starts with a new chapter. But the truth is, this is Jesus' illustration of his answer regarding the end times. And he says this, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins 
who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise. And five of them were foolish. God, this grieves my heart so bad. I've read it several times this week, and this is my second time today, and it just grieves my heart so bad. And those who were foolish took their lamps and no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at the midnight cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not be enough for you and for us. But rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And then we read one of the most tragic words in all of Scripture. It says, and afterward, I say to you, afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus says one more time, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I want to tell you something, church. I hope we elect the right people for offices, I do. And I know that it's going to pass through the filter of God's hand. Great. I hope that things work out and for the remainder of our time here on earth, there is equality and there is civility and there is all the things that our natural hearts long for. But I'm telling you, before the return of Christ, things are going to get worse before they get better. And your little programmatic religious ritual ain't going to cut it. We're not going to be able to stand in the last day on an attendance record. We're not going to be able to stand in the last day based on the number of times we've shared the Lord's table together. But what Jesus is saying to us here is that the person that is going to be ready, that is going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, is the persons whose lamps are filled with the oil of the Holy Ghost and they are trimmed from immorality and wickedness and, more, and, 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 and the natural carnality and their lives are ablaze with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, it's the only thing that's going to see you through. The only thing don't let Jesus come and you be off at the hardware store looking for oil and nobody else in this place can give you the oil that you need you got to get it from the source The oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The trimming of the wick is symbolic of removing anything from our lives that hinder them from burning bright with the statement of the life of Christ. It's the lust of the flesh. It's got to be trimmed away. It's pride. It's anger. It's greed. It's wrath. It's malice. It's all got to be trimmed away. And you and I are going to need the oil of the Holy Spirit in the last days in order to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. I want to invite you to stand all over this sanctuary this morning. And I'm going to ask our altar team to come this morning. 
And you say, well, pastor, you know what? I wish you'd have given the altar call 15 minutes ago when I was already standing on my feet and I was excited and I felt like shouting. Whatever. I'm not here to pacify your emotions. I'm not here to entangle you in some sensationalism. I'm here to tell you that the only way we're going to make it out of here is with the anointing and the power of God resident in our lives through fellowship and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's it. If you're a spirit-filled believer right now, I want you to begin to pray. And I want you to pray in the Holy Ghost right now because there's somebody, there's some folks in this room right now that you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit right now. And I believe that today is the day. I believe that right now is the moment. And I believe there are those of you that are watching online this morning that you're in your room right now and the Spirit of God is witnessing to you right now in this moment. And you need to be filled with the Spirit. But I'm telling you, in as much as we're praying here in this place, God can touch you there in that place and you can receive a fresh touch from heaven today wherever you are. First of all, I want to say this. That if the trumpet were to sound right now, and it's not a matter of could it, it's a matter of would it. If the trumpet were to sound right now, and the glory and the splendor of the resurrected Christ was revealed to receive his own and call his own unto himself, are you ready? Are you ready for that moment? Some of you that accidentally tuned in to a live stream this morning and you don't know what's going on here at this church, I'm asking you right now, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready to go when the saints of God are gathered home? Are you ready? And if you're not right now, I want you to get out from where you are. Step out real quick. Step out real quick and come and gather here with some of our prayer warriors. We want to pray with you this morning. We want to believe God. But as they're coming, those of you today who say, Pastor, I've been sidetracked. I've, I've been distracted. I've been, I've just had my eyes on too many different things. But right now, I want to get my lamp trimmed and burning bright. I want to be refilled afresh with the Holy Spirit and fire. If that's you, would you just step out from where you are? I think that should include all of us who are comfortable this morning in doing so. And step down to this altar. We want to believe God for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit right now in this moment. Just say, God, baptize us afresh. Oh, God, pour out your Holy Spirit and fire right now. Right now, Lord, in my life, I need you, Lord, to fill me up again. I need you to fill me afresh oh God I need you to do a work in my life if that's you step out from wherever you are right now right now in Jesus name come on come on I am who you say I am I am chosen not forsaken I am who you say I am you are for
Hallelujah. 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 Right now, every child of God that's in this room, I want you to begin to lift your voice. I want you to lift your voice in rejoicing. I want you to lift your voice in praise right now, thanking God for the opportunity, for the great love that's been bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God. Come on right now, an ovation of praise just lifted up all over this place right now. Right now in the name of Jesus. Right now in the name of Jesus. Serve notice on the kingdoms of darkness that you are a child of God and that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Sound notice right now against the kingdom of darkness that no hindrance that is sent your way is going to negate your position as a child of God. Come on, church, lift it up. I like to consider myself an optimist and I know I've told you that before the return of the Lord it's going to get worse but the word also says that before he returns there's going to be a great revival amen hallelujah it ain't all bad come on somebody how many of you are hungry for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit how many of you are hungry for the latter rain of God to be poured out in your life? For new waves of glory to wash over you? For the power of God to reside in your life like never before? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, 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 Lord. I want to remind you, church, that fellowship, 
in the Holy Ghost is not just something confined to the four walls of the church. And it's not something that's relegated to Sunday morning. Paul said to the church, and if we were to really transliterate that fully, it would say, be ye being filled. It's a continuous and a constant that we are continually being filled with the Spirit of God. So I just challenge you and I urge you, look, whatever time you're spending on things that are making you wring your hands and rack your minds, turn it off. And get, get, get alone with God. Get in the prayer closet. Get, get set aside some time to spend in fellowship with the Spirit. Fill your lamp with oil. Trim it. And let it burn bright for the glory of God in this generation. Amen. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. Is, is that right? Amen. Amen. Father, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus. We give you all the glory, the praise, and the honor. Lord, I ask you that you would fill afresh every vessel under the sound of my voice, whether in this house or those that are watching online this morning. And Father, would you just bless them in abundance, God. And, and Lord, I pray in all things that they would prosper and be in health, even as their soul prospers. And we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. And we shout, thank you, Jesus.